Hey, everybody, this is At Home with Linda and Drew Scott. Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to our living room. Or maybe we're doing this from the bathroom today. Ooh, you don't know. Lucky me. Actually, you do know because anytime you're on the other side of a call when somebody answers, you know when they're in the bathroom. So, do you think when you're on conference calls, people know why it's echoey? I've only ever done that once. And, and you know when he did it? <laughs> when I really needed to use the bathroom. Linda he never. Took a call. Linda will save it up for like four days. No, ew, where I'll, I'll go multiple sounds... times a day. This is TMI, but this is the one time she really had to use the bathroom. We were actually away on a wellness retreat. There was only one bathroom in the in the hotel room, yeah. and I stole it and I took a conference call. Yeah, we did. We did Kundalini yoga, and our instructor said. Uh, just be aware, this will cause some movement. And I was like, oh, great, we've been traveling. I can't go because I need it to be, like, perfect. When we got back to the hotel, oh. oh there was movement. There was movement, but Drew was not moving his There was droovement. <laughs> Have you got any idea what this week is? Um, There's a brilliant thing coming up at the end of the week. What's that? Rabbi Burns Day. Oh, my haggy. Haggis and headbutts. <laughs> My Scottish is getting worse. The older I get, the worse it gets. Do you speak Scottish? I think I need to have some haggis, and then I'll speak better with, with a Scottish accent. It's like the, uh, the can of spinach. It is. It would be my up. Popeye, my Scottish Popeye mix. <laughs> January 25th is Rabbi Burns Day, Robert Burns Day. He's a famous Scottish poet. This is a tradition every year. We get all dressed up. Jonathan and I play the bagpipes. You all look gorgeous in your kilts. And dad does the address to the haggis. You know, from an outside looking in, we probably look like a bunch of weirdos. But for us who are Scottish, it's amazing. Tell me, be honest, do you like haggis? I love the vegetarian haggis. It, I've tried the regular one. And it's, I mean, it's good, but it's really salty. And it always scares people too, because people are like, well, what's in haggis? And then hardcore people will be like, well, it's wrapped in a sheep's stomach Ooh. and this and that and it's entrails so. and whatever. It's not. It's just like whatever you would have in a hot dog. It's like a, a spicy mint. Entrails. That's such a gross it's, I know, but it's not like that. That was back in the day. That was like in the 1500s when anyway, they would do there's, that. Anyway, there's canned haggis, canned vegetarian haggis, and it's really delicious. It's, it's like chickpeas. And, and it's more moist, which actually makes it taste better. Yeah, don't say moist. That is the most disgusting word moist, in the human disgusting language. disgusting word. As the outsider in the family, you've come into the Scott family. <sighs> You came in as new, fresh blood. Oh, okay. I was just going to say, like, you just called me an outsider to the family. Wow. Yeah, Linda's the That's outsider. Mean. No, but what was it like we, when we brought you to the first Rabbi Burns Day and we're sitting down eating this mushy haggis? Did you like it? Were you excited? Were I mean, you nervous? I loved the entire experience. I, I think it's so cool that you celebrate this day and you go all in. You know, there's no there's no half-assing it. And you I wear the kilt. Up. I wear the kilt the traditional way. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you what that means. You got to look it up. Do you really want to look it up? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Don't look up the <laughs> kilt. Just look it up. Uh, but uh, Yeah, you know, I love the music. I love just sitting around the table and hearing stories of, of your visits to Scotland and you guys searching for swords and coins and treasures. It's fun. It's actually, it's very funny for me too because... Dad goes all out. You know, Dad's 85. You know, he was born in Scotland, and he has all these stories and tales that he learned as a kid that he's passing on to us, but it's very entertaining. I, I actually, sometimes I have to bite my tongue with all the giggles that I have because when he's doing the, the, the ode to the haggis, it's, I think it's uh, sweet. It's hilarious. It is sweet. We're not traditional people, but I love traditionals in a sense that 
it brings people together and there are always amazing stories that come out of traditions. Yeah, well, I think the traditions are fun and it, it's something that you bond over with family and friends. So what, what's our new household tradition? Well, what should we do? I think it could be we can eat haggis more than once a year, unlike when you introduced me to dur- durian. <gasps> Durian. Wait. Do when you, you like introduce durian? me to durian, it's the most disgusting smelling thing. It's it's a Hold spiky on. fruit, and when you crack it open, it reeks. It smells like it's a toilet. It's called the king fruit for a reason. Yeah. First of all, Brandon, do you like durian? I tried durian toothpaste. Ew. Ew. I had no idea what to expect. Why would you? Do Why that? would you Why do would durian you toothpaste? You're taking. You're taking the one thing that is terrible in durian, no. the smell, and you're putting it in Ew. toothpaste. Was it a joke? Was, that's what she said. Wait, was it a joke toothpaste? Like, was no, it a prank? Like, I got one of the little Asian markets up in um, Hollywood. What? Are you you got sucked. You know what they They were like, oh, we got this guy. We're well, going to get him with this. I hadn't tried it before. I was like, ooh, Durian, you always see it in the store. So, have you ever eaten it? After that, I couldn't. No. Oh, yeah, you it's can't gross. brush yeah. your teeth. With it. You have to brush your teeth after eating durian. You can't like brush your teeth. Like six hundred times, I couldn't get the flavor <laughs> out. It's terrible. Yeah, I wouldn't. I, I don't love, have to second brush okay. my teeth. Durian is disgusting. That's what? all there is to it. Don't lie. You love it. Okay, you don't love it, but you don't hate it. No, the taste of it actually isn't terrible. But you always say to me, "Oh, but it's so much vitamins and nutrients." But you can get that exact same vitamins and nutrients from something that doesn't smell like a butt. How dare are you? Are you arguing? You're not arguing. I you, am. you know what it, it smells like? Okay, it smells a used like, toilet. No, it doesn't. It smells like dirty socks that have been sitting in a swamp. Okay, if my socks smelled like that, I'd be so proud. It smells like rotting trash. Okay, How? it does. It does. Okay, it okay. does. It does. Stink. I didn't understand why you were defending it durian. It stinks, but it tastes so good. It doesn't taste it so does good. Taste it tastes so good. good. Not add, so good. Add condensed milk to it. Mm, I think so instead. I'm going to make you guys some. Something that tastes good. Strawberry ice cream. Okay. Okay. Something that tastes good. Yorkshire pudding. I don't disagree. Something that tastes good. Your, Your cacao juice mix that you Elixir. make in the mornings. Yeah, I'm not disagreeing. Durian does not taste yes, good. Yes, it does. All to right. me, it does. Anyway. Well, haggis tastes good. good. That's more for me. What else did we do this week? Groundlings. Oh, we went to groundlings. We're more durian. We're not <laughs> eating more durian. Durian's a thing of the past. <laughs> I'm going to go on and on about this. Groundlings, okay, groundlings. was fun. We uh, we actually, Linda took me on a surprise we, date night. Yeah, we lost our poop in the seats because we were... We lost our poop in the seats. <laughs> Laughing so hard. <laughs> it was it was funny. So they actually had it was an all female cast, and they had some of the veterans come back. They have some of the current cast were there, and they were so funny. I was probably the annoying guy because if I really laugh, if somebody does something in the moment that's funny, I laugh out loud. Ha 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 ha! And then I know they want to have that. That was a very obnoxious catchy laugh. But I uh, I laugh out loud. So some people try and keep the Snickers to themselves because they're doing an improv on stage. They don't want to interrupt, but. I used to do improv. I actually, I feed off the audience, or at least I used so, to. So if someone in the audience went, ha, 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 you'd be like, yeah. It means they're loving it. And then you're like, yes, <laughs> I'm getting to at least one person in that crowd. I, I could not do improv. I couldn't even come up with a topic because the director was asking the audience for topics. <laughs> All right. There's your stomach wanting to get in. The director, the director was asking the audience for topics, and I couldn't even think... 
I threw a couple out there. Yeah, I mean, did. I think it's because I'm used to, to improv, but yeah. I actually love improv and I can do that. But stand-up is a whole oh, other beast. I did a little stand-up back in the day, but you look at somebody like our guest this week, Howie Mandel, he still does over 100 dates a year for stand-up comedy. That's so crazy. Like He is just so funny, naturally, and I think sitting there during the interview, I was I couldn't even concentrate because I was just crying. No, from laughter. <laughs> his stories, his stories are, you listen to his stories and you think, there's no way this is real. You have to be making this up, but he's not. They're all things that he did. And his philosophy is, at least if I make one person in the room laugh and that person can be me, then I've done my job. So why don't we get this comedy show started? This is our chat with Howie Mandel. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. <laughs> my security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. I can feel the love bouncing off these walls Shining through the windows Reflecting like a rainbow That's where we belong Yeah, it feels like home I find it fascinating that one of the first things that nobody knows about you that I found when I was digging online was that you actually started a part of your career in high school as a construction guy. No, no, no. Building no. and then getting evicted from school for the addition? Yeah, I wasn't the construction guy. I'm a guy who called the construction guy. So maybe, and it wasn't because I was interested in construction. It's because, I'll tell you, it goes back to why I'm even in this business. And the reason I'm in this business is because I was fascinated with Alan Funt of Candid Camera fame. And I didn't understand comedy. My parents watched comedy incessantly and listened to albums, and I used to hear the laughter in the living room, and I wanted to be part of it. But as a four-year-old little goofball, as I would watch a stand-up, I, didn't, I had no point of reference. If somebody was talking about a mother-in-law on TV and everybody was laughing, I didn't even know what a mother-in-law was. But the first memory I have of being able to sit at home and laugh with the whole family was there was a show called Candid Camera. I remember it. Which was on in, but I'm a lot older than you, but, but I, it was on in the 60s and I sat down and Alan Funt explained to me and my parents that he was going to hire a receptionist whose duty it was to never miss a phone call. And he had showed me that he had tied a rope to the leg of the desk and drilled a hole through a wall into another room and they had a rope. And every time he said, I'm gonna leave, the most important thing is don't miss a phone call. And every time the phone would ring, the plan was he was gonna grab the rope on the other side and oh pull the gosh. rope so the desk would go away. 
<laughs> and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm in on the joke. This is so funny. It's like being at a surprise party I wasn't invited to. Yeah. And we sat there in anticipation. The phone rings. The woman goes to reach the for the phone. The desk slides across <laughs> the room. And the look on her face was the <laughs> deepest, most guttural, beautiful feeling I've ever had with my entire family that we were just screaming and laughing and we all got it. And I was four and they were in their 40s and it was wow. forever. And I always wanted to recreate those kind of feelings. Yeah. What I didn't understand was I didn't have a TV show and I didn't have an audience and I didn't even have friends. But that, that didn't stop me. I loved awkward, uncomfortable situations. So one of the odd, awkward, uncomfortable situations was I called through the yellow pages for those that are listening right now that are younger, that's before Google. And I called a construction company and I said my name. I said, I'm Howard. I was Howard. I was always in trouble. I'm always <laughs> Howard. So, so I, I called the construction company and I said, I'm calling, my name's Howard Mandel and I'm calling uh, on behalf of this school. And uh, uh, we're looking at adding 20 feet out into the field uh, uh, for our Learning Resources Center, the library. And if you could come give us an estimate tomorrow, I need the estimate between 3 and 3.40 tomorrow. If you could kind of come out, measure, and give me an, an estimate. And I called a few people. And, they said, and, okay. I, and I have a question with that, though. You're, you're in high school. You're a young high school kid on the phone. You're like, um, hi, this is Howard Mandel. Trying to put on your adult voice, but you were cracking. Like, you would think so, but you have to think of me in high school. First of all, in high school, and uh, podcast isn't a place to show pictures, but I looked like a little girl. I had, uh, <laughs> my hair was down to my shoulders. I didn't shave. My voice had barely changed. But lo and behold, this request, I don't think... This is what I learned later on when I'm doing it. You know, you would think I should lower my voice. I should sound like I didn't do any of that. But because I didn't do any of that and I had such, uh, for lack of a better term, chutzpah, yeah. you know, I just went, I didn't say who I, my name's Howard and I had this girl-like voice, but I was adamant <laughs> that I needed this estimate. And the reason it was between 3 and 3.40 was because I knew I was in math class. And for me alone, to be the one and only audience, you know, I also heard the adage that if you could just make one person laugh, you're doing your job as a comedian. You just make yourself laugh. Well, I didn't have anybody else. <laughs> so, so I thought it would be funny to be sitting in math, looking out the window, as it was. And I watched this guy with a clipboard and a tape measure measuring in the field. Nobody was even looking out the window because it's not that interesting. Yeah. And I'm going, oh my God, that's the <laughs> guy I called. It. They're doing it. And then within minutes, I see the vice principal walking on the field. And it's funnier for me from a distance, explaining to the guy, and he's going, I'm getting an estimate. And I know that I gave my name. I, I, oh, I no. never thought of the ramifications. Within minutes, I see the guy being you know, shown his way off the field, the, yeah. the construction guy. And, uh, and then I see the principal go, vice principal go back in, and then, you know, we have the, the PA system. Well, yeah. Howard Mandel, oh. come to the office, please. That's, how do you know? It's like you were there. So the, the, the principal calls me down to the audit, uh, office. I go down to the office, and he says, did you hire, you know, this construction firm to put an addition onto the library? And I honestly said, no, I didn't. We said, did you call him? And I said, yes. You said, he said, you said no. I said, no. I am getting three estimates. <laughs> he didn't laugh like you did. And he said, could you just sit down for a moment? And I sat down and they called my parents. And my parents had to show up in the office. And I don't know what they were expecting. And he sits my parents down and he goes, you know, your son Howard um, just hired a construction firm to put an addition on to the library. And I see my mom 
biting our lip. They're trying, trying to be good not parents. to laugh. Yes, they're trying to be good <laughs> parents amazing. because this is not proper behavior. They know, but it is funny. And I don't know what he expected. We told him never to hire construction people to put into this. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to <laughs> yeah. say? But they could never say anything, and I was asked to leave that school. I constantly did those things. So at that point when you did that, did the school already know you were a bit of a prankster or a jokester? No, you see, when you're 15 years old or 14 years old, the uh, I think, and even today, the idea is to kind of fit in. Everybody kind of dresses the same. Yeah. Everybody's got a, my sense of humor, I wasn't, people say, were you the class clown? I wasn't the class clown. I didn't have a funny little... Uh, quip to yeah. something that was going on in the class. There was these extravagant things. I'll give you another example, which ended up in 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 uh, in a movie later on. But I taught. You could see me in the '70s on Make Me Laugh. Talk about what I did. I took swimming in class, in gym class. In Toronto, we, yeah. we had swimming. As luck would have it, swimming was always the last period of the day. In February, you know, there's only so dry you can get, and then you're walking yeah. home in and 20 freeze. below. Yeah, yeah the, your hair is frozen, everything. <laughs> I didn't want to go swimming. The only thing I could think of is the next day I bought an O'Henry bar. And nobody else aside from us would know what this is because an O'Henry bar is a Canadian chocolate bar, delicious, caramel and nuts. Yes. Nutty, caramel. And I un unwrapped uh, it, so it's just a brown piece of chocolate oh, with nuts no. in it. I, I bent it a little bit <laughs> so it looked natural, and I just threw it in the pool with the idea that if they saw this in the pool, you know, nobody's going to have to go swimming oh for the last God. period of the day. That was the idea. Then there's this announcement. If anybody has any information on who defecated in the pool, please let us know, and there'll be no ramifications <laughs> for letting us know. Lo and behold, 300 people show up at the end of the day just to look at this floating, <laughs> wasn't floating, it was at the bottom of the pool, look, pointing at it. I was the only one that knew. knew what it was. I thought this was hysterical. I dived in and came up with it in my mouth. <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, most of the young women just rolled their eyes and thought I was the most disgusting person they've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Other people just thought I was insane. Nobody befriended me. Now it's very funny because I have some notoriety. People come up to me, you know, I went to high school. You were the funniest guy. I'm, I'm, yeah? Why weren't you my friend then? Yeah. Like, nobody thought I was funny. They just thought I was insane. And at school after school, I was asked to leave. And I always was doing these things. But everything <laughs> I've ever been punished for, expelled for, gotten in trouble for, is what I seem to get paid for has, today. Has huh. been what has made you the man you are today. I actually had a similar experience with our local Parks and Rec when I was growing up. So it was a small town, and every now and then, we'd be kicked out of the pool because there was a log in the pool. A real log. Not a fake log, a real one. And what it was, there was this one kid, I mean, all of us knew each other because it was a small town. This one kid, every time his parents would say, it's time to go, he, just to spite them, would shit in the pool. That's, wait, 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 that's wait, wait, talent, wait. though. You're no, shitting no, no. on demand. Yeah. That's the toilet's that's half full. You're such and, a positive person. <laughs> Linda's from Toronto, so you guys grew up in the same sort of area. You're North York, yeah, right? Mississauga. But not like far. I worked in her, in her county, okay. in her town. I sold carpet. I was a carpet salesman. You were a greasy carpet salesman. I don't know that I was greasy, but I'm colorblind. So I wasn't oh, you good, are? Yes, I'm colorblind. How do you sell? Because carpet's all about color. Yes, and I didn't know, but people listen. And now uh. it's been 40 years, but I tell you, from probably a decade after I left, probably the ugliest homes that I had anything to do with, because <laughs> they'd listen, or they'd say, what color is this? And I'd go, and I, I didn't know, but I would read the labels, and you know the labels probably yeah. on tile. Like, and yeah, well, it's like something ridiculous. It would be like, 
Midnight fence. Yeah, right. like what? <laughs> right. We're gonna run the midnight fence through this area, <laughs> and we'll go into the Azure Mountains. <laughs> but I used to go into the people's houses. I did shop at home service, you know, and oh I'd go into people's homes. T Terry, who's my wife, I'm also, you're very family, and so am I. You're doing this podcast as a husband and wife. Yeah. My wife is in this, I know. In this yeah, building, too, her. and my kids are here. But um, my wife used to come on these uh, sales trips with me. I thought it was so funny. I love awkward. I just love uncomfortable. <laughs> I think because I feel so uncomfortable and so awkward, if I could make everybody around me awkward and comfortable, I feel comfortable. You'll connect. I connect. Yeah. But I used to measure people's homes for carpet, and then I used to take off my shirt, and I would draw the floor plan. I would The, the family would be sitting down on a couch in the living room. Just watching? They would, and, and, and you could see that they'd be really uncomfortable there. I'm getting a call right now. Let me just, probably a new carpet sale. Yeah, let me just yeah. turn this off. They're like, you okay. sold me midnight fence. Well, I, I take off my shirt, and I would lie down on, in, at their feet. So the family, there'd be four family members on a couch in their living room, and I would lie down at their feet, and I would draw the floor plan on my flesh with a pen. I draw on my chest, down to my belly button, to the belt of my pants. You know, the living room, this is the hallway, this is the staircase I'd ride. Don't I go did... to the basement. <laughs> <laughs> so I would draw it, and then I'd, I'd put all the measurements, and then I would say, and you'd see, it just, people would be holding on to the armrest, and they'd be very uncomfortable, but I would be there until it made sense to them. So I'd be running my fingers like, between my nipples and going, you want the, the plush here in the living room. Then when we get into the hallway here, down to my belly button, this is where we're gonna put the shag. Wait, do you have a, do you have a hairy chest? Uh, I don't know if it's hairy, but it's plush. It's like a It's twitch. more like a Berber. Like a Berber. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, yeah. A but what would happen is, eventually, they would lose uh, their inhibitions. I'm trying to, I'm getting funk. I just want it to seem like I'm a lot more important than I am. I'd keep the conversation going and not call any attention to the fact that I wasn't wearing a shirt, and the whole family would be leaning over, and, they'd go, and I'd say it purposely wrong, you want the shag in the hall. I've got the living room. No, the, we said that we want the, the shag in the living room. I go, well, where, where do you want the shag? And then they'd lean over, and their fingers were all they over my chest. Yeah, here, this, oh, is the, this is the plush, and then we want, this is hardwood right here. This is the stairway. We want the hardwood on the stairway. Or one time, I, and I would have bets with other people in the store how long I could spend in somebody's house. So I'd go to their house, and they'd be doing three bedrooms and a bathroom, and I'd go, let me just measure it. And they'd go, okay. And I'd have a six-inch ruler. <laughs> you know, and I would have them go with me. I once spent four and a half hours measuring, just measuring a living room. They, they, and they had a six-inch ruler, and I would have the guy, the man of the house, I'd go, okay, six inches. I'd put down the ruler. I'd say, put your finger here, and they'd put their finger here, and then I'd put the, the ruler on the other side. Okay, put your finger here, put your finger here. Right. And, and I could see the guy just, I'm in their house. It's so like, I, talk about a captive audience. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, and, and, they, and I could see in their eyes, they're going, get the hell out of we don't even want carpet anymore. But that's torturing you sitting in their house for four and a half hours. It's pretty crafty, but. No, and, and Terry, my wife Terry, and my parents always would say, who's the joke on? Who is this joke on? You just have, all these people just think you're an idiot. They just think you're an idiot. They think you shit in the pool. They think you can't afford a tape measure. You don't understand the colors. You have body obsession. Yeah. The other thing was, I'll tell you one thing I did. This is terrible. I got, I got fined by the Better, Better Business Bureau in Toronto. No, because these people kept saying, I brought out all these, uh, all these samples. samples. 
And they kept saying, cheaper. We want something like, isn't there something cheaper, cheaper, cheaper? The only thing I had, I said, I'll show you the cheapest I have, but I don't think you're going to like it. But it's a neutral color. Paper. No, it was the other pad. So, <laughs> so this is new rubberized, but I can do this for like a buck and a quarter a square yard, and I could do your whole house. They go, do it, do it. Oh so wait, God. so we, I had an installer, I hired an installer. We did the underpad. We did the whole house in rubber underpad. One day later, not even 24 hours, I get a call saying, um, we want we want to cancel the check. You, this is this is screwed up. I go why? They go we were vacuuming the living room and a piece of it <laughs> ripped and went up into the vacuum. A piece of the carpet. I go why would you stuff. why would you vacuum rubberized carpet? They go well. What do we do? I go it's rubber. You erase it. And then, and then, <laughs> For the record, we're hiring new design leads on our team. I really think you got a shot. So if you really want to come back to your original design roots, I always wanted. I wanted to talk to you. I, I think that we should do a hidden camera design show. Well, I think I mentioned this to you a couple of years ago. One of Jonathan and my first big ideas for a renovation show was actually a reverse renovation show. Well, we come into the house, it's not bad. It's a house that you know looks okay, but it could use a bit of a facelift. We send off the homeowners, and then we totally renovate the house to look worse than it did. I mean, it'll now look like a frat house or something disgusting. Then we bring the homeowners back in for the lovely reveal and then just get the reactions. But I think you could even do like horrible things that could be not, like yeah. if you're replacing the floor in the kitchen. Yeah. You know, I think that we're bringing in a design expert. This is a surprise. I love, because what I love about your shows is the, the, the most fun part besides learning things, what everybody loves about those shows is the reveal. It's yeah. all about the reveal. It's all yeah. about the reveal, right? You want to see people. So if you could do things where you can reveal horror stories, yeah. but it could be fixed up, yeah. here's what we thought of. For your kitchen, I know you two love the beach. We did real dirt. Real sand. sand. <laughs> it's real sand. And look at this. And it's not only we, we imported, look at the sand crabs. We have actual sand crabs and everything. But I mean, we, that, that could be removed yeah. and there could be a really nice floor underneath yeah, it. That's what? great. I mean, we'll have to give you a writing credit for that. But that's a good idea because originally we were thinking if you do the full reno in this terrible way, it's a costly prank and then it's not worth it because then you'd have to put it back after. But we, we can also, and, and not that this is a show about ideas, but you can also, all you have to do is when you do all the great things, and you know that because you guys designed illusions and, and other things for magicians. I don't know if people know that. You guys are great no, show no. business behind the scenes and you build things for things, I don't want to name names, but I know that there are big shows and big illusions that you see on TV from the biggest magicians that you guys are behind building and constructing, whatever those are. The fact is that you could probably build something to cover up something fantastic. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Th their counter and their cabinets could be totally behind something that looks hideous, yeah. Horrible. yeah. You would just box over them like a faux kitchen cabinet. So these each cabinet is made out of real flesh from a, I'm not even gonna say. <laughs> Remember you said you lost your uncle two weeks ago? Well, he's back with you. I noticed that sometimes you put a plaque up. This is from his belly. You don't need we wanted, to, we you wanted something need sentimental. Yeah. Oh my God, this would be HDTV after dark. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. <laughs> Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer.
January 6th champions, uh, AGT champions comes on, okay. and that is the Olympics of talent. So all the winners or runners up from around the world, all the got talents from around oh the world, compete against each other. And, and I, I didn't Heidi get a call. Klum, pardon me? I didn't get a call to, to compete this time. I what, uh, what did you want to, what, uh, singing? I have many talents. I, yes, you know I sing. Uh, I do know you sing. And then in June, AGT will start again. And then uh, I have also in January, you know, I host these galas for Just for Laughs, which is the biggest comedy yes. festival in the yes. world, which I, uh, I'm i one of the owners. Yeah, well, I have a oh, festival. Well, let's back up there. That's like the ultimate mic drop because growing up, we, we watched Just for Laughs. I mean, it's a Canadian thing. Everyone in Canada knows Just for Laughs. So I think everyone in North America knows it or globally. But uh, how is it you just happen to buy the largest festival in, in the, the world? world People don't is. even realize this. Any, any festival so you think of. not just comedy festival, largest festival. Yeah, if you ever. think of Coachella, yeah. Coachella runs about 600,000 people through just Montreal, because it's Montreal the last two weeks of July, we run over two million people through. But then we do Toronto, yeah. and we do Vancouver, and we do Sydney, Australia, and we just expanded into Abu Dhabi, wow. and we're expanding more and more and more. So We have a friend who just did uh, a Comic-Con in Saudi Arabia. It was the very first time, but I guess the new Crown Prince is really trying to push more nice. tourism. And it, it is now, it, in their first um, year for Comic-Con, or in their first event, it's, I think, the third or fifth largest Comic-Con out there, which is wow. ridiculous. But, um, but so I JFL mean, would do there you go. Saudi Arabia. Well, we're talking about going, I would love yeah. to do that. So, I, you know, I, I just want to, my goal is, because you know that, you're, you guys are Canadian, I, and I think the world of comedy knows it, and television knows it, but outside of that, not as many people know it as, you know, like Woodstock or Coachella or things like I want to be part of putting that on the map and kind of making it a, a bigger brand. Yeah, when I was growing up, the be. big comedy brand was National Lampoon. Right. You know, we all knew National Lampoon and let National Lampoon's vacation. I hope that we can brand other things, like shows you're seeing now on television came out of mm -hmm. JFL yeah. and, and comedians from Kevin Hart, Dave Chappelle, everybody who's anybody in comedy has either come from there or been a part of it, and I want to make that more known. And for the live events, like, you know, Coachella has more than just uh, music or, um, I mean, it's, it's basically all these tiny little pop-ups all over of interesting experiences. So what is it you're going to change for Just for Laughs? Are you, there's I, I think that we want to uh, in, engage more digital live events. So whether it is even, you know, comedians playing Fortnite live on Twitch, to uh, also involving music now is a big part of comedy, and mm -hmm. there's a there's a great blend between hip hop and and comedy and and these websites to doing things. You know, if you think of Coachella, they had a live performance of Beyonce on YouTube, which was big and went global. There's no reason why we couldn't yeah. have a live performance on YouTube. Uh, they also did things with the hologram company that we all know about when Tupac was yep. brought back to life in mm -hmm. Coachella. Mm -hmm. We want to do things like that. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll do something like that with classic comedians. If you had Dwayne Johnson tickling Kevin Hart on a live feed for an hour from just for laughs, I think that would go viral. You know what? You should keep your fantasies to yourself. Okay. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I've actually done it, so it's not really, a, it's not a dream. It's a... So what's your nerdy passion or hobby that people might not know about you? That they don't know about me? I think I think everything, my nerdy passion, and it's not a nerdy passion, and it's what I do and people come to see is 
the one thing that I love and the one place that I love to be and the most comfortable place on earth is doing stand-up. Mm-hmm. And stand-up basically saved my life. You know, I just, because I was this, you know, I, it, I was later on in life, in my 40s, you know, diagnosed uh, with, uh, you know, uh, depression and anxiety and uh, ADHD. I have almost the entire alphabet. And as I sit here today, I'm in, incredibly um, medicated. And uh, I go to therapy all the time. But when I found stand-up comedy in Toronto at Yuck Yucks on Bay Street, I went because in the mid-70s, you know, when disco was all the rage, I was not, I'm not a dancer. And uh, I don't drink and I don't go to clubs. And they opened up the stand-up comedy club. And I just went to see it because it's the only place. And as luck would have it, the host, his name is Mark Breslin, said that anybody from the audience want to get up and try something. And somebody in the, in the sitting near me went, you should do it. And I went, okay. And that's an issue with my ADHD and things. I don't think of ramifications. So I just went, okay. And I didn't prepare. And I thought, this will be funny because I'm not a comedian. And I'll go on and I'll never forget. They said, ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. And then I walked out without any preparation or any thought. And if you look at old YouTube videos of me, mm-hmm. I walked out and I thought, that's the joke. You know, they just introduced me and I'm really not supposed to be here and this is not anything that I aspire to, not anything that I've practiced for. And I look at all these faces sitting there waiting for me to do something and I realized I have nothing. (laughs) And then I started going, okay, 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 all right. And and because I was going, okay, 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 which became my act, (laughs) they were giggling like you are and I'd go, what, what, what? Okay, 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 (laughs) what? And I I had nothing and that became my whole act and they were laughing more and more and more. And because I have OCD and I won't touch things, I carry rubber gloves, I always have. I carried rubber gloves with me and I took a rubber glove and I just pulled it over my head and I started breathing through my nose (laughs) and the fingers were going up and, and it popped off my head. And then everybody roared and they applauded and I walked off stage and Mark Breslin said, come back tomorrow. And I said, okay, okay. Okay, 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 okay. okay, okay. (laughs) And I came back and that became my, that became my, uh, my job. It was the first time I didn't feel like an outsider. It's the first time I didn't feel like people were ridiculing. You know, I, I did these things and the ramifications afterwards of, the construction thing, you know, it, it, they're funny stories, but I was asked to leave school. So, and I couldn't get back into the school and yeah. everybody I knew was going to school and I'm alone at home. And and I got sent to another school where I didn't know anybody and I did something again and got thrown out. And I don't, I don't have a GED. This is the first place that was that warmth and acceptance by mm. strangers who were laughing and I could hang out and I just went, and not aspiring to be famous, not aspiring to be uh, a comedian or anything. I just wanted a, a place to go and this was a place to go. Yeah. And this is the first place I was ever accepted outside of the people who love me and care for me. But yeah. I, 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 this is the, and I, and I just kept going and as luck would have it, you know, uh, somebody saw me, I was down here on a trip in Los Angeles I went and did that at the comedy store, and there was a guy there by the, uh, the name of George Foster who had a comedy show called Make Me Laugh. Mm-hmm. He hired me. I did that and went back home to Toronto. And then I got called by the Mike Douglas show and the Merv Griffin show. And then when I was on Merv Griffin, Gene Simmons called me you know, of Kiss. Yeah. Yeah. Kiss fame. And he said, uh, I saw you on Merv Griffin. Will you be my girlfriend's opening act? And I went, who, who's your girlfriend? And it was Diana Ross. He lived with Diana Ross at the time. And I became Diana Ross's opening act at Caesars Palace. And then I just started working more continuously and that became my career. And then I went, I was still commuting back and forth and continuing the carpet. Here in, to uh, be here to, in Toronto. Toronto. Yeah. yeah. And then, wait, wait, you were still doing the carpet job too? Yeah. Well, lighting. I got into lighting with my father. My father's business was commercial lighting, not 
not uh, show business lighting, right. like lighting for homes and yeah. mostly malls and stuff like that. Yeah. So we we did that. So I was doing that at the same time. I'm very entrepreneurial. My entrepreneurial um, spirit outweighs my creative spirit. I love business. I mm -hmm. love business. I got into real estate. Well, that's actually, that's one thing I don't think a lot of people know about you, at least, is that um, aside from being on TV and comedy and everything you do on that side, you have several different businesses. You have production studios of your right. own. You've even owned gas stations yeah. in Nevada, was it? Yeah, right yeah. in Vegas. In Vegas. Um, and well, what happened was, this was kind of fun, when, when I think in the 80s, when Las Vegas became the biggest, or Nevada, Las Vegas became the biggest growing city in the world. Right? They started, I think Steve Wynn, when he made the Mirage or whatever hotel became the biggest family, you know, changed mm -hmm. from that, the Rat Pack kind yeah. of thing where it became a family resort. Then they were building, you know, new hotels and every trade mm -hmm. in the world would go out there. And then they realized there's a good tax break there, so it became also a retirement community yeah. because there were good taxes and it was cheap, cheap place to live. So there was this whole move out west to everybody from all over the states was moving to Nevada. And these big home, uh, like a track the home. big tract, yeah. yeah, home developers were out there and there'd be swaths of like, they're gonna build 2,000 homes in this area. Yeah. And people were lining up for lotteries to get these wow. homes, right? And a lot of them at the time, this is before 2008, right? No yeah. money down, you can get into all yeah. these homes. So what would happen is I'd see like, KB Homes or whatever they were, they were gonna build 2,000 homes way out in Summerlin before it was a, a big thing. And then there'd be a tract of dirt, like two acres of dirt leading into this. There weren't even paved roads. Yeah. And I would buy the, the two acres of dirt for nothing, like pennies, right, compared to any. And I'd wait for them to build the houses because I was thinking there was no infrastructure. And then on the two acres of dirt, I would build a little mini mall. So it'd have a car wash, it would have a gas station, it would have a little store, an AMPM store. So, like, where do you, if you live in your community, where are you going to fill right. up with gas? You don't want to drive so 10 smart. miles to the, the next major community. That's smart, yeah. Right. So, we, we built a bunch of those. I own those. And then I found out you that... You still own those? No, I sold, those, I yeah. sold those. Because my partner who was in it, you know, we found out that the, the big money in those was, if you walk, especially in Nevada, probably only in Nevada, but, you know, you'd have the electronic ga uh, poker machines. Mm -hmm. Those, they would rent, you know, the post office and the ATM machines, you know, they rent a little, if you go into one of the, uh, in the, yeah. in the convenience station, store, yeah. you'll see an ATM machine right. or a stamp machine yeah. or uh, an electronic poker machine. Yeah. That's worth more money than the whole, think of the base of an electronic poker machine is less than the table that we have here. Yeah. They were paying something like, Thirty-five to forty thousand dollars a month rent. Oh my god! Just to have the machine there. And, and I'm people thinking, actually go in and play, yeah, play a hand, couple of hands. Yeah. That's, so That's and then so my partner decided we we sold all the things and now he most of those machines you see in Nevada outside of the casinos uh -huh. like he owns. Yeah. Oh wow! That's my partner. That's there you go. My ex partner. That's smart. You look at, for example, we, we used to look at um, storage facilities. A lot, a lot of people think, well, there's not a lot of money to be made. It's just people's miscellaneous junk. My the gosh, like the, so the return junk. on, on oh, some storage uh, facilities and the growth and how quickly you can pay off a mortgage with those. When we first got into real estate, we actually were, so this is mid-90s, uh, we were just finishing high school trying to figure out how to make, make money. I wanted to be an actor and director. Jonathan wanted to be a magician. And uh, at the time, you could assume somebody else's mortgage. Right. And it was a hot market. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, this is the dumbest thing. I wonder if this could ever go bad. 
And uh, but anyway, at the time, I did not. Do, I had no credit. I was a student, and but I was able to take over someone's mortgage. They did a second mortgage for us, so the seller basically did a second mortgage, um, and we had a down payment of two hundred fifty dollars, and we got into this two hundred thousand dollar house right by the University of Calgary. A year later, we sold it for a fifty thousand dollar profit, and then that's how we realized we could make money. So we we started real estate not on a commercial side but on a residential, starting to flip houses that we just would take over. We're like, oh, you can't afford your mortgage payment, or or you want to move and you you can't sell your house. We'll take it. We'll give you a great price on the house. The market was going up really fast. Turn around, sell it, you know, do a little makeover, cheap. We did it sort of just like laminate floors and kitchens and bathrooms. That's it. Sold it two to three months later, and every house was about twenty to fifty thousand dollars. People don't realize when you're a kid and you're playing Monopoly, it's not really a game; it's life. It really is yeah. like that. You know, the same thing is we bought also the dirt around the airport because this is even before we did the, the gas station stuff, because I saw that all the trades were moving there. So all these, uh, my friend's uncle was <coughs> building all these warehouses and offices for the trades. So the plumber would need a place to, to have an office and to keep all his fixtures and mm -hmm. stuff and the electrician. And all these people, all these trades needed that place. So what we did, and they were nothing just like storage, to build these tilt-ups yeah. around the airport. And we said to them, we were the first ones that sold commercial condos. So I said, hey, you're paying all this rent. But if you paid a mortgage, you get the tax write-off, mm -hmm. you yeah. have the same space, and you have an asset. I couldn't build them and sell them fast enough. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I honestly think sometimes, and again, I don't know how you felt when you got straight into it, but in the beginning, we didn't know how real estate worked. We didn't know about conventional financing and whatnot as much as what people have been doing it for a long time uh, knew. And so we would just come along and we would have all these ideas like, well, why can't we do it this way? And so we just came in and started, I remember real estate agents would say to me all the time, you can't buy a house for $250 down, you just can't do that. I've been doing it. I've just done 12 of them. So, and so we were always, anything we've put our minds to, the way we grew our production company, the way we pitched shows. You know, when Jonathan first pitched for Property Brothers, we didn't know the process of working with a, a reputable production company who has a relationship with but the network. But that was your advantage because you came into it with fresh eyes. Exactly, so you had fresh eyes. We went straight to the, it was with the, the VP of Rogers, one of the VPs of development for Rogers in Canada, one of the big networks. And we just went straight into his office and said, hey, we want to pitch you us as talent. This is an idea. And he actually was receptive. He sat down, he listened to us, and then he told us how it typically works, mm -hmm. but he liked us. And so that's what started to open doors for us in that sense. I believe in it. You know, yeah. I, my philosophy of life is Nikes. Just do it. You know, I did this talk at CNBC, and I said the only difference between Elon Musk or Steve Jobs and you is they did it and you didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know that they're better or more qualified than you are, <laughs> but, you know, they're passionate about something, yeah. and they sat in their garage and built something, and it could have went south. Right. But yeah. you did it. You did, like, the average kid in Calgary probably wouldn't have asked or chased or even thought, if I only have $250, I can't buy a house. You've got to do it. I came out here with a rubber glove on my head, <laughs> and, you know, and now I'm sitting in a padded room with you. Yeah. You, think? you know, it's just the, the big time pattern. We do have a key to that door, right? To get back out. Uh, oh, the, this the is an escape room, room yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to open up an escape room. We actually, we've developed a show to pitch. It was like an escape room on steroids, and it's levels. It's almost like you take American Ninja Warrior, you take Fear Factor, you take all these big, like, uh, amazing race and combined. And so there's elements of all of that within these escape rooms and teams of people are trying to get to the final room to escape. I'm uh, thinking more the, the, the theme that I want my escape room to be is marriage. <laughs> where you don't 
pay. We let everybody in for free, but whoever gets out has to give us half of everything. They trust own. me, trust me, you pay. <laughs> That's what you I'm saying. Pay, yeah. You pay to get yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, I think uh, escape rooms are one of our nerdiest things. We absolutely love it, but. Uh, I think for, for me over the years, I've really enjoyed just kind of jumping into random things I didn't think I would enjoy or, or at, I was a little intrigued and I just started doing it and then you find a whole new just passion. Just do it. Just, just do, do it. it. Exactly. So I heard too, you uh, were a VJ, was one of your jobs early on as well. Well, my, so at that same time as Diana Ross was calling me and I was on TV, Mike Nesmith of the Monkees oh called me. And he said, that, you know, I have this idea. It was me and this other guy... Do you know who Charles Fleischer is? No. Charles Fleischer was the voice of Roger Rabbit. Oh, but cool. he was also a well-known comedian at the time. This is 78, 79. And he called me and said, I got an idea. If we do, what if we made movies out of songs? You know, and we did these things. So he got money from Viacom. And we did this show called, and you can look it up. You can Google it right now if you're listening to it. Pop Clips. And him and I uh, VJ'd or DJ'd, VJ'd, it's videos, yeah. Yeah. these movies to songs. And he showed it was going to be a part of what Nickelodeon was going to be. Yeah. When he handed it in, they said, no, I don't think this is a show. I think this is a network. And that was the precursor to MTV. So I was the oh, very wow. first VJ there ever was. Oh, they bought gosh. MTV based on this show, Pop Clips. And if you look up Pop Clips on Google, it'll tell you it's the precursor to MTV. And if you look up who the VJs are, it's me and Oh my Charles gosh, Fleischer. the OG VJ. OG right VJ. You are all the, all the letters of the alphabet. OG. You are, yeah. VJ, With the ADHD, yeah. ADHD OCD, VJ, <laughs> uh, everything. I told you. Oh I'd gosh. like to buy a vowel. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of game shows and stuff, so Deal or No Deal? Tell us about that side, because I, I saw you, okay. you quoted somewhere I was reading a, a feature on you, and you were saying how that, more than almost anything you've ever done, has really changed your perspective on life, and I don't know if it was Everything. about giving back. So, you know, when I broke into the business, I did, uh, you know, as a stand-up, I got really early on, I did uh, the Young Comedian special, which is an HBO, you know, it was a staple on HBO. On my Young Comedian special, it was me, Jerry Seinfeld, Richard Lewis, um, Harry Anderson, and it was hosted by the Smothers Brothers, and we shot it at the Roxy. And that catapulted me to um, notoriety where I could play, you know, 10,000-seat theaters and, you know, uh, casinos everywhere, and I was on the road right after I did that. That was probably 1981. In 1982, because I had gotten that notoriety, the normal um, path for comedians that were doing well uh, was to get a sitcom. You know, Robin had just started in uh, Mork and Mindy, Mork and, Mindy yeah. and uh, Billy Crystal was on Soap, and all, every comedian who was anybody was doing things. So I went and met at MTM, and uh, just a general meeting at MTM, and uh, the lady said, it was Molly Lopato, she says, can you act? And I said, I don't know. And uh, she said, well, read these sides. And I read these sides, and they made no sense to me, which is a piece of a script. Mm -hmm. And then she said, that's very good, come down the hall. And I went down the hall and I read for this guy, Mark Tinker and Bruce Paltrow. And they said, oh, that's very good, uh, we'll talk to you soon. And they called me back and they said, you wanna meet this guy, Brandon Tartikoff, we want you to meet at NBC. Brandon Tartikoff is the king of everything in television, if you look up your history of television. I read for him and he goes, oh, that's good, we'll see you Monday. And I thought, oh, I got a call back and it seemed like a really shitty sitcom. And as it turned out, it was a show called St. Elsewhere. Mm -hmm. And they hired me. They had been doing the pilot for seven days. 
They didn't like some of what they saw, and they, I'm a recast. For the lead. Uh, I, there was 12, that's Denzel Washington came out of yeah. that show. Me wow. came out of that. You know, right. it was a lot of a lot of big actors came off of that show. It was Tim Robbins' first show, Kathy Bates' first show. Like they did little arcs in it. And you went for uh, was it six seasons? Yeah, but yeah. here's the so here's the thing. So the, people would bet that you know at that time the internet wasn't big, so you'd get fan mail, mm-hmm. and every piece of mail I had, they would guess that the person that was playing Fiscus was not the same as the idiot that uh, was blowing a rubber glove on their head. They didn't think it was the same guy, so that was a separate audience. Then I started doing Bobby's World, which was a Saturday morning cartoon. That Linda has always been obsessed with Bobby's World, just so you know. She's your top stalker. (laughs) Do do, do your version. (laughs) So I I was doing that voice and I got offered to do a, but then nobody knew that this guy was Fiscus and also the guy that was rolling. In 2005, when my career was waning, you know, I had done really well. I was playing these big things. I wasn't selling tickets so much anymore. I wasn't being offered parts. The series were over. Bobby's World ended in 97. By about 2004, I hardly was working, mostly real estate, doing really well. And I said, you know, I just don't want to deal with this rejection anymore. My manager calls me and says, they want you to host a game show. And I went, goodbye. And if you think about this, at that time, no no comedian would host a game show. You know, a game show was, when your currency is irony and comedy, the, the game show host was kind of like the punchline. Mm-hmm. You know, so I said, I don't want to do that. Yeah. That's the lowest rung of show, in, in my mind. You know, and that, that and, was, yeah, like that, that was your, your, that means your career the, was over. You're dying. Like, yeah. That's the end of the road. That was it. Like yeah. saying you want to do an infomercial, you know, like yeah. almost like so that. I shouldn't have done that Viagra commercial. Okay. Okay. No, that was great. That was, yeah. It relaunched my She's career. She's happy with yeah. it. <laughs> it. It was big for my career. <laughs> for her career. <laughs> if you know what I mean. But anyway, uh, so I said no, and then my manager calls me back and says, you know what, they've never done this, this is unprecedented, but NBC, a major broadcast network, is gonna air this game, which is already huge all over the world except America, they're gonna air it every night of one week. They're gonna give one hour of primetime television every week to this game. I go, even more of a reason to not be humiliated. <laughs> so and you turned it down several times. I turned it down. The third time he calls me back, he goes, can the guy just show you what the game is? And I went, all right, I'm in Jerry's Deli in the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. If he wants to come here, I don't want to go to a meeting for a game show. But if he wants to come here, I'll be here for another hour. The guy shows up with this little, it's not like he even went to Kinko. It was a cutout cardboard. He made a square with 26 numbers. It looked like a, you know, a seventh grade... Art yeah, project. Failed art project. Not a good, the not kind, a good the one. The kind your kid brings home and you're like, good job. Good job. And then you're like, that sucked. <laughs> That's exactly what yeah. it looked like. And anyways, he's, he moves my soup aside. He has me pick one of the supposed cases. I pick a case and said $50,000. Then he had me open up other ones. It wasn't fun. And he goes, and we're going to have 26 bikini models, even like sillier. It sounded, everything he described to me sounded, because you, you know, after the fact, you got to take yourself back then. Yeah. There's no trivia. There's no skill. An hour every night of me, why do you need a, they go, we can't do it without you. You are so perfect for this. And my only job is to say, open the case. Yeah. What number you want to choose now? Okay, open the case. So I, I said, this is ridiculous. So I go home and my wife, Terry, says to me, did you take it? And I went, no. She goes, 
you're an idiot, just take it. It's just a job, you're doing nothing anyway. She's never been big on keeping my ego alive. So, yeah. <laughs> she, goes, so she goes, take the deal. She's just trying to get you out of the house. Right, she is. Yeah. I'm a really annoying. Thank God this, this is just one podcast. Because if this was a week of me, I'm telling you, nobody would be listening. We're airing it every single day. We're you're not gonna do yourself models. a service. So anyway, so I said to them, I phoned them back, and it's a Friday, and I said, okay, I'll take it. They go, we couldn't have done it without you. Thank you. And they, I said, when do you shoot? And they go, Monday. I go, Monday? Don't you have to build a set? They go, we got the set build, built. I said, well, don't you need 26 models? They go, they're already cast. And I'm thinking, So they were how just waiting far, for you. No, how many people said no? Yeah. How many people <laughs> said no? They couldn't have done it without me? They I'm called like me. the last guy. I actually, I said no. Uh, right? Yeah. So I went, oh my God, this is even worse. Like it, it just kept getting darker and darker. And I said, listen, <laughs> can I hire some of my friends, my comedian friends to like at least write, give me some material? They go, whatever you want. So I go and I hire my friends and we write all weekend. And the only thing, the only thing that I had to reflect on, no comedian had done a, a game show since Groucho Marx, who had done a show called You Bet Your Life in the 40s. Can you think of another game show hosted by a comedian? Not now, right. I mean, before 2005. Yeah. I, we couldn't find it. And then we started writing material. And I started writing. I had a bunch of funny things. I go in Monday. They introduce me. Ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel. The crowd roars. And my first job is I go up to the contestant. I go, what's your name? And uh, I meet her. And Karen Van is her name. I'll never forget. I did 500 episodes. And I have a oh, picture wow. of Karen here. And I said, tell me about yourself. And Karen says to me, I'm standing as close as I am to you now. And Karen says to me, I'm a single mother. These are my three children. I've never owned a home. I don't have health insurance, and this would mean the world to me. And then all of a sudden, like everything that I ever was, you know, first and foremost, besides being a comedian or an actor or a voice guy, I'm a human being, yeah. and I'm a father, and I'm a husband. And it just became, I went, oh my God. And I noticed that there's somebody who's not ever been on TV. You know that when you're, when you're with somebody who hasn't been on TV, they're surrounded by, they're in a studio, there's 12 cameras, there's all these lights, there's a blaze. It's yeah. And I could tell she was intimidated and not listening. And I didn't want, and then I was so afraid, like I did, I said something funny and then she was just giggling and everything. <laughs> and I thought, you know, you're really not, you're laughing at what I did, but you're not really paying attention to what's going on. So it kind of changed my cadence and it became only about you, Karen, leaving in a better place mm -hmm. than you came. And it started, and, and it changed my cadence because I would go, the offer, is $20,000. Karen, before you say deal or no deal, $20,000 from where you live, it wasn't New York or California, this is more than a down payment on a home you've never owned. This is more than enough money to buy health insurance for these little boys. Mm -hmm. That's more than enough money than you could put away with what, I don't know if she was a cashier or whatever she was. If two years of work, this is so, and she'd go, no deal. And I'd go, oh my God. <laughs> and it just became about getting yeah. you, the contestant, to make the right decision. When I finished taping the five games, I have never been more humiliated in my life because I said to my wife, not only did I do, I mean, it's a great game for these people, but I wasn't funny. I didn't, it's the first time I've ever been in front of an audience where I didn't do an act. I didn't recite mm -hmm. lines that were, you know, given to me. So it wasn't St. Elsewhere. It was nothing. It was just me. I just showed up and I just wanted these people to win. I yeah. just wanted you to do well. This is so humiliating. I bought a ticket. We went to Tortolo Tortilla, in the Caribbean. Tortolo, is that how you say it? Tortolo? I think it's tortilla. Tor that's a chip. <laughs> Tortolo. I always get a chip in an island mixed Tortilla. up. It's, it's something. We went to the Caribbean, but I wanted it to be an island that's kind of like off. No TV, 
No, if I said I just got to escape. This is going to be the most humiliating time in my life. They're going to air this over Christmas. This is for the premiere. You Christmas. To, yeah, yeah, I just wanted to get it. But it was I, I taped it a couple of weeks before the premiere. They were going to put it on over Christmas, over December. And I went there, and on the Tuesday morning, I get a call on my cell phone from the guy who showed up at Jerry's. He goes, you're not going to believe this. This went through the roof. And I go, what are you talking about? And then they call me the next day, and they go, it's even more. It's even more. This thing is a huge hit. Over 100 million people watched it this what? week. I got on a plane. I flew back. I landed in Miami. When I got off the plane, within 30 seconds, somebody came up to me and went, deal or no deal? Wow. And I had a catchphrase. And it's the first thing that kind of brought together where they understood that audience, which was the biggest audience I've ever had, uh, kind of put me together. I was the guy that put the glove on the head. I was the guy that was on St. Elsewhere. I was the guy that did the voice of Bobby. And it brought all those audiences together. And it was the first time I realized that and, and got comfortable with just being myself. Yeah. Just, you know, at, up until that time, I probably wouldn't have even had, sat here and had, had a discussion like this with you. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would always look for the kind of the witty or silly or funny answer. I, and I was never yeah. comfortable talking like this, like I am Without with you. It changed my life. I think that it is pretty, because you know, the comedy that you come from, the background, everything that you did, going into that, first off thinking like, oh, it's just a stupid game show you don't want to do. And then you, then you thought you had to set up a routine. You have your comedy friends writing with you. That whole approach in one response from a, from the first contestant talking to you, changing your whole outlook of what this could be. or what Because it was, was real. It was yeah, so much more important than, than people thinking I was funny. Like if this girl went home with no money, which could change, and I'm looking at little kids sitting in the audience. Yeah, I'll get a joke and I'll get a laugh, but what if, what if I just, you know, to this day, there are game shows they always ask me to be on. You know, they, I get, we all get asked. I won't be on a game show as the celebrity guest because if I do something silly or I feel like I'm responsible for you not, not. getting yeah. what you possibly could get if I didn't distract you, then I would, I would be crushed. I would be beside myself and I couldn't, I don't want to be responsible for that. Mm -hmm. And so how did it, from Deal or No Deal, how did it expand into AGT? Because America's Okay, so, so I, did, I did Deal or No Deal. Deal or No Deal exploded from the roof. I will, I will also say it changed the landscape. Within that first year is when they called Jeff Foxworthy to shoot uh, Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader? Mm -hmm. Other comedians to do Family Feud, which became, yeah, I, I hope that Steve Harvey says thank you, Howie, because <laughs> now comedians are on every game yeah. show and hosting all kinds of shows, but they didn't before that. Right. Um, and then I asked for, uh, I didn't have to at that point, uh, luckily, because of real estate, I don't and still to this day, don't do anything because of money. Mm -hmm. uh, money is not why I make a decision to do things. I don't have to, and I'm lucky enough. So I do things that I'm passionate about. And I said, give me a production deal so that I could develop. And that you know, led into the building we're sitting in and what I'm doing. And const construction and renovation is the same as development. You know, mm -hmm. you get a piece yeah. of property, and property is also the same t uh, term used for an idea, an idea is yeah. property. And I might develop it so that I can give them a landscape where they could put their advertising in the middle of. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same. You find, and for somebody that doesn't have a GED, my understanding of business, it's exactly the same. Show business, real estate business, renovation, it's yeah. all business exactly the same. Just different tools. But what I, what I got out of all that is that um, money doesn't drive you, so we don't have to pay you $200,000 for this podcast interview. Did you think you were paying me anything? Mm -hmm. I, I think Alex, I think your son took it. 
He took it? Alex took it, yeah. yeah, yeah he is, said I, he was your, your I, rep. I'm here out of the goodness of my heart. No, I'm <laughs> no, here because I, I love you guys, and I, I would do anything for you, and it's always interesting to sit down and talk to you. But I don't do, I, I, there's something incredibly freeing about just doing what you want. And, what, and oh, so yeah. much of this world, you know, if you listen to radio, and, uh, you know, it became synonymous with radio where Wednesday became hump day. And the connotation of hump day is you're halfway through over this hump of shit that you don't, can you say shit on this podcast? Sure. You're halfway over the shit that you don't want to do all week. So you get to the weekend just not to do what you hate doing. People feel like they go to school and then they have to get a job to pay the rent. I think if more people would just do it, just find something you're, I, I talked to, to my kids, I don't care if you're the custodian at a school and you wanna do that, as long as you could find one thing that you could look forward to, whether yeah. it's the coin collection, mm -hmm. yes. whether it's the magic, whether it's building something, you have to, I think most of this world and probably most of your listeners aren't aware or don't force themselves to find that passion. And when you find that passion in life, that's that gives you the worth. No, you could really feel it as soon as we walked in here. We're not in our home today, but we're in you know part of your home. You're in a padded room. Yeah. Well, we're in we're a padded, in a padded room, room, but you're home away from home. But I think that's that is a big thing for us too. Everything we do. I mean, we're we're at uh, almost 400 houses, 400 episodes we've done for um, families on Property Brothers and our shows. And then on top of that, you know, same as you, airing globally, there are people we've inspired around the world and. We love what we do. We wouldn't do it if we didn't love it. Our, you know, reveal our magazine or our furniture line. Everything we do is a passion project, and then we have this big voice that we can put into other charitable organizations or other passions of ours. So to that give other back. people can do what yeah. they want to do. Money never yeah. drives what we do. That, that, that's actually. The but last I love thing. that, you know. And I'm also big in family. You know, my my wife is here in the building, and mm -hmm. we work together. My son works with me. My uh, son-in-law works with me, and the the people that run my development I've known since they were two and a half. And so so. Me, home is just being with people you love, doing things you love. Home isn't necessarily a building. And the thing and the joy that I get out of watching you and becoming a fan of yours is, listen, I have interest because I'm in, in real estate as to the property and how to do things, but the biggest, the biggest draw for me is kind of that same draw I just talked to you about for, uh, that I had on, uh, on uh, deal or no deal is seeing that Having empathy for people and seeing what they want, they come to you with an idea mm -hmm. or maybe a hope or a dream. And that is so, it's so uh, encompassing when you, they, you reveal yeah. and you see joy and you see tears and you see people saying, wow, I don't have to know those people. I don't have to even like what they're looking at or have the same taste as them. The fact through their joy brings the world joy and brings, and that's what you do. You inspire people just to be happy, to to go for it. And that's what's wonderful about that show. It's so oh, much more beyond real estate. It really is. And design, it's humanity. Well, that that's that, what Jonathan and I always say, it's not just about the physical structure. Home is not the four walls, the roof and the windows and door. It's the feeling that people get when they're in a place that they love, when they're with the people they love, when they can wake up every morning with a smile on their face. Um, it's about the memories you have in a space too, and that's definitely the most important thing for us. But yeah, I mean, we're here to inspire with everything we do. I, I guarantee you, in the near future, we're gonna work on a project together of some sort. We're gonna I have a show so. or something that will I'll we'll show up on. anytime, any place for you guys, because you guys put a smile on, on my face. I'll tell you, my wife, that maybe this is the because your your wife is in the thing, but my wife has never been excited about meeting any celebrity or anything. When I <laughs> the first time I met them, him mm -hmm. and his brother, 
I, I saw you at the Lowe's Hotel in Santa Monica. It was the first time we met. You were at, yeah, that's at right. uh, Real Screen or something. Yeah. We were at, we were at Real Screen this first time. And yeah. I called Terry, my wife, and I said, guess what the Property Brothers are. <laughs> she got into a car. She left work. She came down. It's the, it's the one show where we sit around the house, and whenever it's on, we always, we never miss it. We love it. That's we love crazy. you guys. We love what it does. It makes us feel good. Well, I also love too that, uh, and a lot of this doesn't happen a lot in the entertainment industry. I heard that you and Terry met when you were in elementary school. We've like, been married for forty years now. Oh my! This God. is my fortieth year of marriage. We have two grandchildren and three children, and uh, I've known her since she was twelve. I wasn't dating her at twelve, but I'd known her. I borrowed a quarter from her when she was twelve. <laughs> you borrowed a quarter? Yeah, for French fries. We were at the same place, and I borrowed a quarter, and I have been paying her back ever since. <laughs> I, did. I had no money; she had a quarter. Oh. And uh, we met over pizza and water. So uh, we were pizza at pizza and water. Linda, uh, we're, uh, we're Jonathan, and I. This is backstage. The first year of Property Brothers, so almost ten years ago, and uh, we were asked to be the celebrity models during a Fashion Week event. And uh, I was at this event. Linda, her best friend, was DJing the event and asked if she could come help. So she was fashion police at this event, giving you know, joke tickets for bad fashion. I didn't get a ticket. Very important job. Anyway, so <laughs> I walk in backstage and across the room, it was like out of a movie. I see her and she's talking to a group and laughing and there was this energy around her, her infectious laugh and she's beautiful. And so I was like, I need to work my suave model moves. And I walked over and I'm like, where'd you get that water? <laughs> that was my big pickup line. And then her response, I was carrying pizza, and her response was, where'd you get that pizza? <laughs> and so it was love over water and pizza. And then here we are. So nine years later, we got married, or, or last year we got married. And uh, we actually got married to tribute the pizza. We got married in Italy. In Italy. And to tribute the water, we actually did a campaign with the WE organization where we helped raise money for clean water for life for this village oh, wow. in the Amazon. And so for our honeymoon, we raised all that money. Nobody gave us gifts for our wedding, so everybody donated for clean water. And our honeymoon, we went down into the Amazon. Uh, got to see how and that, got to see how where all the, those funds were implemented. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So how amazing is it was, that? It was pretty great. But so see, it's not just an act. No, well, You're I'm still paying people. for it. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, this no. Is, that's wonderful and I love that you do that so I'm really you know I know that this uh, podcast and you're thematically about home and, and family and there's nothing I relate to more I don't think people know that about me but my wife works in the office and yeah. my family and my kids are everything and the whole my whole thrust of everything I do, even if I do, I still do like 100 dates a year. But even when I was doing more, I was for uh, the 30 years, this is my 40th year in the business, for 30 years I was doing 300 live dates a year. But even when I was playing, you know, I had a residency in, in Vegas, I would be here all day, like I'd drive the kids to the school, I'd be here all day, I'd pick them up from school and have dinner with them, and then I'd get in a, a plane and fly to be on stage at eight o'clock. Wow. At the end of my show, I would fly back here and then be there to take them to school in the morning. It's always the thrust, you know, you don't pay me for doing stand-up comedy or doing a show. You pay me for walking away from my family for a minute to do that. Yeah. So that's mm, what that's the... That's such a good way to... Yeah, I, I love that family is always... for. And, and you are one of the hardest working people I know. And the, the fact that you balance, you make sure you're there first for family, and you have all the different real estate and businesses that you do, and you do, uh, you host shows like you were hosting uh, Deal or No Deal, and you have AGT, and all the, the stand-up. Like, that is, 100 dates is still a hell of a lot. Most people, you but know. Can you imagine, I mean, I always say this, and even in the middle of my act, I go, this is my job. You know, like, I was thrown out of school for all these things. I'm standing there in front of, a, strangers have shown up out of nowhere to watch me 
act like a fool and have a good time. <laughs> do you still pull a glove over your head? And, I uh, don't because I, w- I was doing it every night. I, I don't know if you've heard the story, but I was doing it every night. And one night I was in the middle of America someplace and one night, at the, and it was my closer. What a great closer, what great writing skill I have. And when I was blowing it up, I had, it felt like a knife had gone into my eye. And it was the worst, most excruciating oh. pain I ever had. And I, I popped it off my head. The curtain came down. And I said, you got to take me to the ER. And I go to the emergency room. The guy goes, you have a perforated sinus. Do you have any idea how this mm, uh, uh, might have happened? I go, no. yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. He goes, were you flying today? And I go, nope. He goes, do you have a cold? I said, nope. <laughs> he goes, well, how do you think it might have happened? I said, if one was to take a latex glove each and Not every night. Not saying that I did it, but if one was to take. A friend was to take a, a latex glove and pull it over your head and f- inflate it with your nose, like each and every night, and blow it up, blow it up hard and let it pop. Could that do it? <laughs> and I remember like a long, awkward pause, and he just went, <laughs> Maybe, yeah, that could do it. Why would, why, why would you do that? And I said, it's my job. And he said, don't do that. Yeah. And so I, I'm job. the only guy with a doctor's note not to blow. So I, I have from time to time done it, but I don't do it every night. And it's, I'm kind of like moved on past yeah. that. But I'm, I'm willing to do it. When you go home, when you go home, do you try to turn on the comedy with the kids or or with no, Terry or no? No, no, I don't. You know, and from the tr- their request or personal, but not, personal but choice. I don't think you'd have to try, or, or do you just do you have an on and an off, or is this just? I'm mostly no? off. Okay. <laughs> I am. I'm mostly off. Fear puts me on. You know, if I know that there's a microphone or a camera or that just that fear and that fear and it's a good fear. Yeah. You know, my uh, my uh, analogy is I still love, and I was just on uh, roller coasters this weekend. We went to. the... I love roller. Where'd I you love, go? We went to. Uh, I took my daughter to Disneyland. Oh, nice. But my analogy was that I love roller coasters, and the scarier and the higher and the more thrilling it is, and the closer you think you're coming to death, the more exciting it is. And by the same token, when somebody says, "Ladies and gentlemen, Howie Mandel," I get that that adrenaline. Still, That's I like that. I like that. So when that. I'm not in front of an audience and I don't have to perform, I'm not. I don't think I'm funny. Sometimes I say things, and my wife will go, "You know, that's." That's funny, and it sounds. And she says it like, "Are you surprised that yeah. maybe a, a little tidbit?" No, 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 funny? She doesn't laugh. It's very matter of fact. You know that is funny. Yeah, yeah, she does. And even my kids now they're older, but my daughter, you know, teenage daughter can be like harsh. Yeah. And she was always saying to me. They both were saying to me, "You know, that's not funny. You're trying to be funny, and you're not funny." And I go, "Wait, wait, wait! Don't tell me what's not funny because you see this house you're in." Yes. Funny, bought, funny, yeah. funny bought this house, yeah. so you cannot tell me what funny is. I would like us to each try oh to mimic one of the different voices, because you did many voices. You did Gremlin. But right? you know that's the same voice, right? I, I know it's roughly the same. It was a no, little no, lower. no, no. So here's the thing. No, no. Oh. So, so <laughs> I originally did the voice. It was in my act, and it wasn't called Bobby. And it was, it was just a, it was just a. And then they, and then I got. Okay. <laughs> you know, I could tell you how to do it. I could okay. tell you people, how, you know how I, I do it? It's I'm not my voice. It's not falsetto. So it's the same thing as if you take a balloon. You ever taken a balloon? You blow up the balloon and then you stretch the nipple and it goes, yeah. when, the, when the air is coming out. Yeah. You know that? Yeah. So all I'm doing is closing my throat so, and I'm pushing air. It's just air. So if I lose my voice totally, I can still talk like that. There. I think I'm falsetto. <laughs> See what are you doing? 
And then if you loosen it, then it sounds like helium. <laughs> so I did. So this was Bobby. But it was also Gremlins. It was also Gizmo. Gizmo went. <laughs> same voice. The only voices were different. I did. I did Animal and Bunsen Honeydew on the Muppet Babies. Oh Animal goodness. went. Oh, bye bye. Oh, I love that. And then and Bunsen Honeydew with. If you don't listen to me, I'll make your sister disappear. Oh my God! So you it's the same voice. You know what Jonathan and I did when we were when we were kids and we were trying to pursue acting. So we had done some commercials and a few small TV things as teenagers and young adults. I didn't have at the time. We didn't have any money and we didn't have. Uh, I, I was still trying to do real estate and we we're trying to do all the other things. We we're busy. Well, Jonathan recorded a, a demo reel, a voice reel, and he did like character voices, and then he did a more commercial reel. I didn't want to waste my time because we're twins. Our voices are very similar. I thought it was pretty good. So he had all these little. The kind of character voices that he had done along with a, a more commercial reel. And so I just took that and I would submit that. When he stopped doing his acting, I just took his reel and would submit it. And I booked a couple of things off of his voice reel. <laughs> Does he know that? Uh, I think he now knows to this day. I was in <laughs> denial for a while, but hey, I booked a few things. I made money off no, it. No, he so booked thanks. a few things. Yeah. <laughs> it's all his job. Yeah, there you go. So If it came off the reel, it's him that booked the deal. It's a good point. It's a good point. So I guess I should still give him the... I probably, at the time, I probably made a hundred bucks off it. <laughs> Did he also do a tape, like an, a videotape? And that's a, a, for those little... I'm jobs? pretty sure at some point he took something of mine that I oh, did yeah. from like a scene study or something and used that for something. But um, yeah, The benefits of having a twin. You should try it sometime. I would love we'll, to have We'll a... go find ourselves twins. Tony. Well, fist bump. Thank Whoa. you so much. Thank you so Thank much. you for the fun. My pleasure. And, this uh, is wonderful. Howie looks too young to have been in this industry for 40 years. That's I, crazy. I can't believe it. And he was a carpet salesman. And what else? And he was so a jobs. prankster in high school and got kicked out of many high schools. You know what? His life parallels mine in many ways. You were a carpet salesman? I wasn't a carpet salesman, but I was actually a carpet cleaner. So he sold it and you cleaned it. That was one of the jobs I got at a young age. It paid very well when I was young. I can't remember what it was now, but it was probably something like $100 a day. But when I was a 15-year-old, I was like, this is so much money. But uh, I really didn't like it. That's the most random job. I had many random jobs. What was your other one? I've Oh, my gosh. So I've been a mall cop. I've been a carpet cleaner. Um, I delivered pizzas. I was a door-to-door salesperson. I was a flight attendant. Howie has done so many things himself. He owned gas stations. And then on top of all that, he has his TV shows. He has AGT. He tours with a stand-up, and he does over 100 dates for that. Plus, he has the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival up in Canada. How does it do it all? That was really bad. Was that supposed to be Bobby's That was world? supposed to be Bobby. He does voice work much better than we do. <laughs> That's a, he, he's a busy guy, but on top of all that, I actually really enjoyed the story about Deal or No Deal. He was pitched to do it several times, and he turned it down, and it wasn't until his wife, Terry, said, just do it. He thought that was the death of his career if he went into hosting a game show, but it wasn't. It was this mom who was explaining how much this money meant to her and her family and what she could do with it, and he realized that this game show, him hosting, this is changing lives. Yeah, it wasn't just a game. People come on for fun, but also to win something would be totally life-changing. Yeah, and actually he had written a whole bunch of jokes and he was ready to play off of people and tease and make fun. Then he realized that's not the approach he wants. He wants to be earnest. There's so much more you can get out of helping other people, and I think that's what he's realized with the shows that he does, even on America's Got Talent. He's creating opportunities for people to take their careers to the next level. I think comedy in itself 
can help so many people. Hello, Linda. This is my baby one. <laughs> See, I made her laugh. My job is done. <sighs> thank you so much for hanging out with us and Howie Mandel today. We want to say a big thank you to our podcast producer, Brandon Angelino. Our researcher, Annalie Bell. We also want to say thank you to Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson for our music, Feels Like Home. And our wonderful assistant, Tori. Don't forget to hit us up with some feedback. Feedback at athomepodcast.net. Or on Instagram, at at home, so at symbol, at home. And also be sure to rate us in the app store. A big high five always feels good. Or a hug. Or five hugs. I like hugs. Five hugs sound really great. And I want to say a big thank you to my boss, the one that tells me what to do and what to say. Linda, I love you. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. (laughs) Actually, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm -hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.